Hey friends, I have a little bonus episode for you here. I actually had the pleasure of moderating a conversation with Jen Heidinger Kendrick of Giving Kitchen, Steve Kars of King of Pops, and Zach Harrison of Fresh Harvest over a general assembly last month, and it was an amazing event called Real Food, Real Stories. The evening was filled with just that, stories of how their ideas became businesses, their dreams became reality, struggle, triumph, hardship, perseverance, and so much more. And the recording was done live in the main room, so it may be just a little hard to hear in places. And also, make sure you don't miss the Q&A portion towards the end of the episode. Jen, Steve, and Zach tell incredible incredible tales and give amazing advice so please don't miss it and also if you'd like to attend the next real food real stories event that i'll be moderating it's happening in february of 2020 and it's all happening at general assembly again at pont city market and you can find out more on the episode page so thanks for listening everybody happy holidays Steve and Jen on the show if you'd like to listen to their episodes, and Zach, and next. Zach will be very yeah. soon, um, and we're going into our third season of the show, which is going to be great, so um, I wrote something very eloquent about the conversation that we're going to have tonight, and uh, I wrote, meaningful work, uh, work through the ups and downs, finding your way, creating something that lasts, having a story to tell, feeding people, and welcome Steve, Jen, and Zach. How are you? Great. Well. It's great. I'm Thanks. Looking forward to it. So uh, we're we're gonna do this, I guess, from uh, just. I'm gonna sit down now. That's what you do. It makes everybody feel a little less uh, intimidated. Um, this is where the footrest is. Um, so this is um, the. I guess the way that this is gonna work is we're gonna go through everybody's, um, you know, what they're doing, kind of introductory, and then we're gonna talk about Atlanta a little bit more broadly, entrepreneurship, and then really like the parts of your guys' stories that are. You know what you guys have experienced, like how your ideas have scaled in a city like Atlanta, how you have built community, and some of the challenges along the way, what that has produced, and what you're doing now. Um, you guys have very interesting um, individual stories, and how this kind of is centric around the idea of food, and how those stories have been born out of food, which is really like the anchoring point for for so much in Atlanta, where. Um, I've had the pleasure of being here for about eight years, and so much of entertainment in the greater part of Atlanta is, so sorry, I'm not turning my back to you, um, but, uh, but so much of, of Atlanta, you know, really a lot of our entertainment is around the culinary side of our world. So much of what we do is, is really based around food, and um, we're very fortunate to have a lot of interesting things happening around us rather than just being a restaurant that you go and pay your money and you experience a meal. I think there's um, there's a lot more that you can dig deeper and find some really amazing things. And um, I think Steve, Jen, and Zach are very indicative of how much that actually really comes to life throughout the city. So, um, but uh, Steve, let's start with you. All so, right. uh, Steve is one of the co-founders of King of Pops. If you've ever had a popsicle in the city and it is not King of Pops, Shame on you, but uh, <laughs> but uh, 
But King of Pops has actually grown quite a bit out of just being a popsicle cart on the corner of North Highland, mm -hmm. uh, right next to Buddy's. You guys have actually expanded quite a bit. Um, so tell us a little bit about like the other things. Yeah, just like everything that King of Pops has really become over the years. Yeah. So uh, started with the popsicles, and that was pretty exciting. And then we made a lot of really logical next steps. So I'll just tell you what they are, and then we'll work backwards on why they're logical or if they really aren't. Uh, we have a Christmas tree delivery business, so if you're in the market in the next couple weeks, uh, freeelves.net. We have a farm, that one probably makes more sense, uh, that we started about five years ago. We have a food distribution business that distributes our food, our popsicles, but also about 40 other brands throughout the southeast. Um, we've got a bar here. Um, which we might open some more of, and um, that's it. So, to work backwards, why we did each of these things is probably somewhat interesting, at least is for me. So the Tree Elves is, uh, we have a very seasonal business. We're always bummed out this time of the year when it happens to get colder. Uh, and we, we have a lot of good staff. Um, we have a lot of used pickup trucks. And we put those things together and came up with the idea of delivering Christmas trees. So we dress up in elf outfits, deliver Christmas trees. You get popsicles whether you like it or not. And then we come and we pick up the, uh, we pick up the tree after Christmas. Um, so that was one, just to kind of try to elongate our, our uh, season of earning any income. Um, distribution is really tricky. And if you know anybody that's tried to start a small food brand, they've probably uh, had woes with it. There's, there's kind of you taking it to the store yourself and at some point that takes away from what you want to do which is um, your craft or build community or whatever. You, most people are not as excited about the actual logistics and delivery to a store and loading docks and things like that. So um, we realized that and we wanted to not be distributed by one of the really large distributors. We had gotten distributed by um, one of the big ones and just wasn't really working for us. So instead of just distributing pops, which take up a very small amount of space on a very big truck, uh, we decided to find some other brands. So that's kind of how that one started. And then the farm, um, our goal is to, to grow produce uh, for our pops. Um, so that one kind of easy, but it's, it's a really beautiful place. It's getting to be beautiful. It's beautiful to me. If you went out there and said it wasn't beautiful, I wouldn't be shocked, but I think it's beautiful. Uh, and we grow a lot of fruit. Um, we were talking about it before, but blackberries, blueberries, muscadines, uh, figs, pawpaw, Asian pear, all the herbs and peppers that we use, but we're just kind of dipping our toe into it. So our goal is to grow 10% of our own produce, and we're at like not quite one percent. So long way to go, but fruit and farming takes time. It's in Winston, which is like Douglas County, so it's about forty minutes away. West. Due west. That's what I got. How yeah. many years ago did you guys start King Pops? Ten years ago. Ten years so ago. So our ten year well, let's not jinx ourselves. Our ten year birthday will be uh, April 1st of next year, so it's a fun day because it's also April Fool's Day, so people are often confused, uh, but that's the day we started.
Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. God, well, I mean, in you know, 10 years, I mean, it's such a, it's such a milestone in the food business, you know, where you go through, I mean, people eat three meals a day, and seasonality of food is especially difficult when you're trying to control specific temperatures with something yeah. like yeah, possible, yeah, yeah. so especially when you get into the colder months. And, yeah. um, but speaking from experience, if you've never done tree elves, getting your Christmas tree delivered to your front door, and I have very small children who were enthralled with the whole process, but then there were popsicles that came with the uh, Christmas tree, which is just a whole different, you know, I mean, can of worms. And they were just like, I don't understand it, but this is the best day. <laughs> and then we get to decorate it. Um, it was a magical experience, man. So, yeah. Yeah, and then so, like, and we can still get popsicles tomorrow. And yeah. the pop, like, yes, we can. Just to tack onto that, like a little bit less strategic when we were planning, but it really fits now. Um, our company's purpose, which is helpful to have, is to create unexpected moments of happiness, and so Christmas trees are a good opportunity for that kind of like yes. Ben was talking about. It's also a good opportunity to mess up if you're not careful. So you don't want to do that. Yeah, but the the point of entry with little kids is like. That's true. Yeah, they, they were they were good. They were really good. But thanks for sharing. I mean, yeah. I I want everybody to kind of get an idea of like the full scope of what everybody's doing um, before we get into everybody's story, so you can kind of get a full scope of you know how how long everyone has been doing what they're doing. So, uh, but thanks, Steve. Yeah. Um, so on to Jen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Excellent. I eat way more than three meals a day. Do you? Yeah. So, so I'm pregnant. I'm due at the end of January, and I just was uh, with my doctor actually last week. This is a side note. And she legitimately told me, you need to eat ten small meals a day. And I said, I'm sorry, ten? Because I'm developing such, like, acid here. So for anybody who's been pregnant and you've had acid reflux, it's a real thing. It's really hurtful. So anyway, more than three meals a day. I don't mind it because I like food. So. Ten meals a day? Like ten small meals a day? Like ten small. Kind of like, time? I eat all the time. You're like, am I on six or seven? Or, like, how do you keep track of that? There's an app you probably for that. Who knows? Um, sure. But uh, Jen Heidegger-Kendrick yep. is the spokesperson and one of the co-founders of Stable House, which is a tremendously wonderful restaurant over on Edgewood, if you have not been, if you're looking for the right opportunity to go, uh, what, I don't know, how long does it take for you to get a reservation in these days? It's very easy. Is it easy now? It's very oh. easy. I remember like first starting out, I was like, oh man. There was a little bit of time in there, about yeah. a year and a half, that it was difficult, yeah. but it's easy. Yeah. So um, if you have not been to Stable House, it's an amazing, amazing restaurant uh, worth, the, um, worth the visit if you are looking for a night out or... It's an opportunity to celebrate. Um, and then just down the street is also the office for Giving Kitchen. And Jen is the, uh, one of the co-founders and also the spokesperson for Giving Kitchen, which is an incredible nonprofit organization that uh, serves people in the restaurant industry in times of crisis or times of need. So um, do you even want to say that? I just like did your whole intro for you. No, I appreciate that. Well, I, I will. I'll piggyback. I'll say that, um, yeah, Staple House Restaurant's four years old. We celebrated our fourth birthday in September. Um, a long time coming. It actually started as a supper club out of uh, my home with my late husband uh, back in January of 2009. Shocking. Uh, that's also over 10 years ago. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, and I am the co-founder of Giving Kitchen, which is we do help food service. Um, so it's all, it's a restaurant industry, it's catering, concessions, food trucks, um, anybody in the food service industry and throughout the entire state of Georgia, uh, Giving Kitchen is there to offer financial assistance 
um, or a network of what we call community resources. So you come to us and even if we aren't able to offer you financial assistance through natural disaster, the death of a family member, um, a sickness or an injury, something that's taking you out of work off your feet for some time, uh, we can still come in and help you with any other secondary resources. So that's, you know, um, exposure to mental counseling or um, um, a therapist or other specialists within the medical field or food banks across the state, et cetera, et cetera. We really want to be, uh, we always say, kind of an organization of yes. We want, always want to be um, a connector uh, and a connecting point for those in the food service industry. Um, and I did, uh, we, I did help co-found both of those, and I, I had told the guys here right before we were starting, I have some news to share, and then we started talking randomly about puppies. So the segue was a little weird, but my news is that um, while, yes, I am the founder of Staple House Restaurant and of Giving Kitchen, I've actually just made a bit of a professional transition. Um, I'm really excited about it because I'm really starting to announce it more publicly. But this is day four for me to be um, on staff full-time for Giving Kitchen. So where I was, thank you so much. Thank you, very kind. Uh, so I, I was... Um, you know, the Giving Kitchen is such a big, it, it started because of what happened to my late husband and myself and our family. So it's an incredibly personal journey. Um, and, you know, but it does take a ton of team effort to get where we are today, which is six and a half years later, uh, being able to award over $3 million in financial assistance to over 3,800 uh, food service workers throughout our state um, with, with help, which is amazing make me emotional but um, so I did make that transition which does mean that my business partners Ryan and Kara who you know quite well um, are taking over the restaurant full-time now that's the short version of what's going on but I'm just really excited to be able to announce that I am on staff full-time for Giving Kitchen that's more awesome. permanently so yeah that's wonderful more later I'm gonna see if this is this better can everyone hear a little bit better if we actually use these yeah. yes yeah. I have no idea why I'm just looking at you two at this table. <laughs> like, is it, a, is it better for you if you are? We're just going to go. We're gonna go. Um, so, Jen, one of the other things is um, you guys were actually awarded with a tremendously wonderful award. Um, if everybody is or is not familiar with what James Beard is, the James Beard Awards, um, it's probably one of the highest honors you can really find uh -huh. yourself in the restaurant industry. Uh, tell us about that experience. Well, that's actually when Ben and I first met. I think was probably the week that we were getting ready to announce. You guys were that, not busy though. I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. Right? Well, well, we were. <laughs> yes, no. It was a huge deal. It was, yeah. But what, what Ben was saying is that Giving Kitchen was actually awarded by the James Beard Foundation. For those of you who don't know what that is, it is one of the highest, essentially winning an Oscar and Academy Award within the food service restaurant industry. But Giving Kitchen was awarded the Humanitarian of the Year uh, of 2019. Uh, this year, and we were recognized in Chicago at the award ceremony early May. It was a profound, extremely um, organizational changing moment for all of us. Um, the Between one of the other founders, myself, and our executive director, Brian Schroeder, uh, were all on stage to accept the award, and it was, again, truly one of the most humbling, amazing experiences of my professional career, so it was pretty awesome. Yeah, and um, watching online was really just amazing. And I mean, again, like I, I get really uh, fired up for just Atlanta and those stories and people. Like I'm just so rah rah, like just this pumping of like you know, it's just it's it's such a cool point of pride and to see you guys like you and Brian and Ryan and uh, like seeing so much of Atlanta on that stage and knowing just the, the degrees of separation between you guys and 
so many places here in the city. It was just really cool. So, um, banner year for you guys. Thanks. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, well, on to Zach. Zach, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah. Your beard looks nice. Thank you. Yeah. No one's time. told you. Thank you. Um, so this is Zach Harrison, everybody, and he is one of the co-founders of Fresh Harvest. And Fresh Harvest is a really awesome, uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to botch it. The, the, the side of it that I know is uh, having organic produce delivered to your door um, yeah. from around the state of Georgia. And um, probably more directly, right within like the greater Atlanta area or the like, surrounding area. Um, yeah, some of the farms are for sure. Yeah. And, um, it's um, it's it's really cool, and a part of your story uh, that's that's really amazing is really I think part of the origin of how you guys started. Um, give us like the give us like the brief rundown of how that actually happened. Like the way back. Oh yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> um, you were born. So I was yeah I was born, and then I was in a band after I was born. <laughs> um, I, I really was. I was in a, a band. And we were traveling around and playing music and all that kind of stuff. And then for some reason that didn't work out. Um, I, like it didn't have the whole financial <coughs> element figured out. But it was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. So then that came to an end. Um, in a good way, but sadly. Came to an end. And so I took a motorcycle trip just kind of spontaneously with a friend of mine who had never ridden a motorcycle before the day that we left on the trip. So that was fun. And then, long story short, there's, there's all kinds of stories with that trip. But the one you're probably talking about is um, we ended up on an organic farm on the coast of California, most beautiful place, um, Slide Ranch. My cousin worked there, and he was like, hey, you should stop by when you're, when you're on your trip. And so we stopped in there, and you know we're dirty and hungry and all that kind of stuff. And then we helped harvest our own um, food that we were going to have for dinner that evening, um, and we're sitting around, you know, the, like, just beautiful, but kind of hut decor of the, um, of the room at the farm where we were eating with some of the farmers, um, and it was just this moment for me where I thought, man, this, this is something that I just feel like is ultimately in every human to love. Um, and so how can I help bring that feeling in some sort of way to other people and back to specifically coming back here to Georgia where I'm from um, so that I can provide that feeling of connection and slowing down and nutrition and the community and the communion that happens over food. Um, how can I bring that to other people? And so I thought other people would be just friends and family. I honestly thought I might be a farmer. Um, that was kind of the first step, and then there was a lot of iterations of that, and then Fresh Harvest came out of it. So, yeah. um, is that the story? That, that's totally the story. Yeah. Is this one? Can you guys hear me through this at all? It doesn't sound like it. Should we, should we pass it back? I think so. It's it's giving me the the battery Batteries. with no battery. From my experience, that means <laughs> that the batteries are dead. <laughs> Down the road, or four or five years down the road, and you, know, you guys are 
you know, you have, you know, distribution, and you guys are getting a James Beard Award, and you guys are working with refugees that live in Clarkston, and you know, supplying food to people's doorsteps, and feeding people, and giving people amazing, um, you know, just energy to, to really pursue, you know, either something that directly touches what you guys have established here in Atlanta, or throughout the rest of the country, really, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that um, it's something that I love the most is really like someone's story of how they got into what they're doing. So I guess just broadly, if anybody wants to answer this, you, all three of you don't have to if you want to. But um, but you know, I, I guess like it's it's kind of like a two-parter. But you know, before you guys were doing what you're doing now, so before King of Pops, before Staple House, or Giving Kitchen, and Fresh Harvest, like what what was that what was that moment, and who was there a person, or was there like a role model, or just someone who kind of gave you that that extra shut up the door, like, don't slow down. Like, keep going. If, if this is a great idea, like, keep going after it. What, is, that, is that something you have an answer for that? I don't know. I'll touch on that. Um, you know, what I, personally, what I was doing before the restaurant, before the nonprofit, the nonprofit was never even supposed to be in existence if it wasn't for my late husband um, being diagnosed with the late stage terminal cancer. Um, at December of 2012. Uh, so what I was doing before that was in advertising and marketing and I had a ton of random freelance jobs, um, photography and other random things. I was also a, a store manager at a children's boutique on the west side of town called Seed Factory or Sprout if you knew it back then. Um, but my husband being a chef here in town um, was the one really passionate and just completely mindset and driven towards um, starting a, our own something, a, a small business. And so that's why we started Prelude to Staple House. We started it out of our home. Um, it was a way for us to, um, and we talk about connectivity all the time and community, that was really our foundation. We really just wanted to build community. Ryan happened to be a really amazing, very clean, simple-minded chef, uh, full of finesse. Um, and we just knew that that was probably the best way for us as a couple to really get to know the city in a different light. Um, to be able to, you know, welcome guests in uh, to really talk about, you know, the food and, and the landscape of, of our city. And this was really before anything like an underground supper club was happening in Atlanta. So that was also really valuable for us. Um, and several years went um, away. There was actually four years that we were doing this supper club and all, again, very worthwhile. Um, but it took a ton of time and effort. And there was one day all of a sudden he got sick. And it, when we talk about you know, what pushed us to really kind of changing our, our outlook on things, uh, one of our, our founding board members, Ryan Turner, he actually owns uh, the restaurants Muss and Turner's Local 3 up in Smyrna. Uh, he's like a brother to me. And he was my husband's, one of his uh, bosses at the time. And when Ryan got sick, uh, the reason the Giving Kitchen started was because our community rallied around us. They simply saw a need. They simply felt the desire to make change. And essentially in about three and a half weeks time, um, a 20 person, very close friends of ours, you know, business mentors, et cetera, put on an event called Team Heidi, Heidi short for our last name, my last name. Um, and it raised just shy of $300,000, again, in three and a half weeks' time. 800 people showed up. There was a live auction. Yacht Rock Review played. And, again, talk about bringing something together so quickly in such a short amount of time, what that means to the people who were involved. Um, and it was a couple of nights after that Team Heidi benefit where Ryan Turner came over to our house 
and um, you know, right at diagnosis time for Ryan and I, it was a matter of it was quite literally life or death. And so the idea of this dream restaurant that we were trying to open up, Staple House, it completely uh, was wiped away from our outlook and. Um, the only thing that we were concentrating on was finding good medical care and what it meant for a doctor to say you have six months to live. Um, and again, the, those couple of nights after that first Team Heidi benefit, Ryan came over and said, um, allow this idea to really be your source of medicine. And that was a huge push for Ryan and I to not let the idea of this dream that we had for four years to let that go. Um, it was a huge motivation for us. Um, and that's not to say that there wasn't a, a large amount of people um, who, who really were by our side and wanted to support us and did it with us. Uh, so at that moment is really when I formed partnership with Ryan and Kara, my business partners at Staple House, and when we started to, to, to realize that the restaurant itself could be more than just a standard traditional restaurant, it could be a restaurant with purpose, which is what we um, have, it's kind of part of our uh, mission and drive for the past four years is that we're a restaurant with purpose. Um, and then the idea for Giving Kitchen was, was really blossoming at that point, knowing that there was really nothing in our community or elsewhere, there's still really nothing in our nation that has done quite what Giving Kitchen has done. Um, but I think there was just that, that moment, and I think, you know, sometimes it takes um, maybe a really simple act of kindness or just a really open-minded approach to uh, pushing somebody in the direction of following their dreams. And for us, it was really, that was a big turning point. Yeah. Steve, that? Go ahead. Okay. Always tough to follow Jen when you're going to talk about <laughs> meaning. Uh, and I, I do think, I do think uh, before talking about King of Pops, I think it's important to recognize that there was probably an action step that I would like to hear more about later that's like, because so many people go through a similar thing and don't respond in that way, and you kind of touched on it, but I, I think it is easy to kind of forget or seem like, oh, this was a matter of circumstance and that's how this happened, but it's a, actually, choice. it's a choice. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that are given circumstances, so I think that's fascinating. Um, but on to a popsicle company. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I was a journalist and then I worked at an insurance company. And then so what the push that kicked me out the door was uh, just the recession. Um, so I got laid off and uh, had this idea with my oldest brother. So my brother Nick is my business partner. Um, we own the business 50-50 has been great, um, my old, and he's cool and everything, but my oldest brother, I would say, was more like um, who I looked up to, um, and he was an anthropologist in a lot of Latin America doing really interesting work, and nothing really to do with food ever, um, but when I would visit him, which was the cheap vacation option, always, um, depending on who he was dating at the time, that was either an option or not option. Uh, and then we, we fell in love with the idea of the paleta, which is um, similar to our popsicles, but with really good ingredients, interesting flavors. I mean, not all of them, you can go there and find some not good ones too. Uh, but the idea seemed like it would translate well to what was going on here. And I guess had a moment of, if insurance isn't a sure thing, maybe there isn't this thing of sure things and uh, that combined with I come from a, a, a family of storytellers and just wanting to have 
something interesting to talk about, whether it worked out or not. Um, so it started with very little to zero expectations. Uh, was surprised when people were excited by it, um, more so than just friends and family, and have just kind of tried to keep up slash not disappoint people. And the word community, which is so oft said, try to try to provide that, which is uh, more challenging than it seems. A lot of times, it seems like it's easy, but it's it's often really hard to kind of figure out things that actually uh, add value and, and, and bring meaning to your neighborhood. So, trying to think a lot about that and do that. We are a popsicle company, but I don't think like if we just made the world's best popsicles, we'd be happy with that. I think we really want to figure out how to do more um, regularly, which makes it really interesting. Well, I kind of already told the, the origin part, but I was telling you, just tell again. Just yeah, again, the same thing again. <laughs> um, no, I do think a, a theme of that, which is super short, is that I do feel like I've kind of always stumbled in to the next thing. Um, I, I didn't set out to be in a band and I was randomly kind of in one and then I didn't set out to be a part of starting even a company and a much less fresh harvest but a company and that sort of happened um, and so I think for me there is that sense of just doing the next thing and taking the opportunity and continuing to um, you know in, evaluate like okay does this is this meaningful is it um, providing like a sense of inspiration when I get up every day. If so, like let's just keep going, and that's kind of that's kind of all fresh harvest and whatever it is now has been built on the back of. It's just like I don't know. It's the next day, the next thing. That's it's not really more. It was wonderful. Okay. It was wonderful. It's perfect. Um, I think each of you touched on this in at least some way. Um, and you know, speaking a little bit more uh, broadly, but also specifically to Atlanta, um, ideas that scale. And um, whether you have the forethought that this idea can scale or what you're doing is actually a good idea in the first place, I mean, um, it, there's always like the gut check moment of like you're doing something that does not have a playbook or people to kind of help you along the way and just have like the motivation of you know, maybe like a, a loving parent or a friend that's like, we just we just want you to be happy. Like, what you mean is you hope I don't die. And uh, <laughs> but um, but you know, to, to create an idea that truly can scale, and um, especially in a, in a city like Atlanta, you know, talk talk a little bit about like what that has what what that's been to like watch something you know begin, and then you look back, you know, a handful of years since you've really been running the show, or the idea has taken off, or the business is now something more than what you had anticipated, and um, what's it like to continually innovate and then, you know, where, where you started, but grow your idea into kind of the next phase? What, what has that been like for you guys? I'll start again. Um, for Giving Kitchen, this is really remarkable because, again, for a nonprofit organization, for as young as we are, uh, to kind of see the accomplishments that have come as an organization has been really profound. Um, when we were first offering um, our programming, which was really just financial assistance at the very beginning, we quickly realized that we really needed to offer something more. There were individuals coming to us who we might have been able to help financially. Um, an average grant from Giving Kitchen is right around $1,800, which will usually put a food service worker 
um, will allow them to stay in their apartment or their home for up to three months at a time. That's actually pretty incredible if you think about it. Um, but they were coming back to us saying, you know, I, I need, a, I, I'm not healing from this motorcycle accident or um, from this crisis, other crisis that happened to me, you know, what else can you provide? And that's really when the realization of this stability network kind of set in for us and it's, it take, took years for us to even get to this point. Um, so our stability network was something that we were able to launch early in 2018. So from a scalable standpoint, A, hearing what our grantees needed um, and growing our staff over the course of six years, that was something pretty big. Um, and, you know, for us, Giving Kitchen, obviously the, the, there's a food service community that it exists all over our country, all over the world, obviously. And it's not just in Atlanta. I do firmly believe, and I am clearly very biased with this, but I firmly believe that Giving Kitchen would not be as successful as it was or as it is if this happened in any other city in our nation. And that is a testament to Atlanta and how close-knit our community is. I'm incredibly proud of our food service community here. Um, when we, when we um, won the James Beard Award and were honored with that, uh, there was, everybody know Anthony Bourdain, and the, the tragedy that happened there, and that happens with so many people, I'm sure, um, throughout this, this room, we know um, several instances that has come across our path that have been tragic like that. Uh, but there was, a, there was a really special moment um, that happened at Giving Kitchen where um, the, the week before Anthony Bourdain took his life, uh, we were actually um, prepared enough to have a QPR um, instructor come to our office. QPR is essentially the, like the CPR for suicide prevention. Um, and we did a training, the entire staff uh, did a training for a couple hours. And by the end of that, the entire staff, 11 people were trained in suicide prevention. So um, if somebody were to come into the office and um, you know, give us the, the responsibility of now learning that they were in crisis in that way, we had the tools to be able to get them the, the help that they needed. We are not a counseling team, but we are absolutely um, a connecting point to the appropriate resources. Metro Counseling um, Services, one of them, one of our favorites. Um, and then the very next week, the Anthony Bourdain um, uh, crisis occurred and our phones just completely started ringing off the hook. And we felt so blessed and lucky because we were able to provide, again, this amazing uh, tool kit for these people who called and just said, I don't know what to do, but I need your help. And we're, again, a nonprofit who offers financial assistance. Um, so to, to really be able to offer something so impactful, especially when the food service industry is, the, is one of the leading industries impacted by suicide ideation, uh, that we now have the tools to be a forefront kind of leader within that was major. Um, and that was something that, again, even through the James Beard recognition and being on stage and from a national standpoint, uh, we announced then, and it's something that the organization still does, that we offer free suicide prevention training for any food service worker in the entire country. So when you, again, talk about scaling, uh, while we are throughout the state of Georgia um, able to offer financial assistance and stability network, we are also offering free QPR training to anybody in the entire country who works in food service. Um, so again, just a very small scale of something that we just realized really early on that we could provide more. Uh, this is an industry that needs a lot. And typically, you know, when you're out of work, you're not getting paid. And for us, that's, I mean, it's a major impact. I mean, I was, I'm, was a part of that myself. So, um, 
Yeah. Gives a little yeah. bit. Some, something of beauty. I mean, out of like the, the restaurant industry, something that really like is, is still reverberating. Like, I think you guys have given people a lot of momentum, you know, in, uh, where where that's, it's not something that's always, you know, available, and especially around, you know, things like the Me Too movement as well. I mean, like, that, that kind of gives people a little bit more, I think, confidence and comfort knowing that that's part of their career. That's, you know, their, I, I'm not just a server because I'm waiting to go to the next thing. You know, this is my life, you know? And so I think it, it's, it's given a lot, and I, I think we're having that in Atlanta. It's not just a point of pride, but it, it really is, um, if it was going to start, and it started here, you know? And I, I think you're right. I think that there's a lot to say about um, of, of Atlanta being the, the incubator for where this idea has, has come to and will erupt in the future. You know, that's yeah. going to be amazing. Absolutely. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's there's a lot just in terms of, like, how your idea, like, comes from one thing and then turns into things. You just, you don't have the, you know, fourth order vision for it. So, Steve, um, Zach, do you guys want to? Take a crack at that one, real quick, or no? Yeah, I will. Exactly. Yeah, just keep going. Okay, it's a cool order. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we um, we weren't really thinking about scale when we started, obviously, and then we're in a product. We're a product company, so you at some point start thinking about it. Uh, we are really early on. We're inspired and went to. If you guys are interested in checking out a company called Zingerman's, and we went to their training and learned and were inspired by them. Um, and they're a really interesting company. They started as a deli in Ann Arbor and chose, decided early on that they didn't want to leave Ann Arbor. Um, so renowned, really great deli, um, had offers from Walt Disney and World and all these places that are just like guaranteed money and they're like, no, this is what we want to do. Um, and instead kind of went deeper into their community. And we were really inspired by that idea, um, but not so inspired that we said just Atlanta. In some ways I wish we would have, um, but we decided we only wanted to stay within the South um, and we wanted to work with local farms as much as we could here within the South, be kind of like an influencer in the food scene here as much as we could be. So that limited our scale. Um, intentionally and we've lived within that so part of the things that we've done would have been much different if we had gone the typical CPG route which is like try to go national get on the Whole Foods shelves national then work your way to like Sprouts, Earth Fair, Kroger, Publix uh, we would have been a much different brand so that was just an intentional decision which if anyone's starting a business is good to kind of do early and it makes it a lot easier when someone calls you and says I'm in LA and I've got this really great opportunity. You just say, it sounds like a great opportunity, but it's not for us. So um, we can talk more about scale, but I thought that was maybe at least something yeah. people can kind of take with them. Yeah. I, just to jump on that kind of train as well, that was something we decided early on too, because we, um, you know, so we, we work with local farmers, the same farmers you're going to see at Freedom Farmers Market or whatever. We basically just buy from them and put it all in a box and deliver it to your house. Um, you can customize your orders, all that kind of stuff. But you're getting um, locally grown um, organic produce um, delivered to you. So early on, you know, you're reading about these other brands, and I remember reading this is one of the Zingerman's books too, and feeling a connection with that idea of staying here because the food's from here. So there was this, um, what has turned out to be a really good like business model decision, but was just kind of a feeling at the beginning, which is like, 
food that's grown here is going to, what are we going to do? Like take it somewhere else? Or are we going to build all those relationships up in wherever we go to and kind of have to start over? What's this going to look like? And so there was this intentional decision to limit our scale, um, which I think for a company like ours, not for every company for sure, but for a company like ours, um, drawing that box around um, what, where we're going to go. Um, has allowed us to really deepen our roots and for sure be more disciplined and committed and um, long-term focused with the farmers that we work with because um, we're doing things like crop planning for what if we have you know maybe not twice as many customers next year but like you know a few hundred more like could we buy that much more stuff who would we need to get it from how do we talk about next spring and next summer and next fall as we're sitting down and flipping through seed books with um, with farmers so that leads to just more fun, at least for us and our model. Um, so limiting s uh, scope was, was a big part of our what does scale mean decision early on. Yeah, because yeah, I don't think it's, uh, I think the, the idea of scale and, and even intentionally limiting scale, like you just said, it's, it's never an indictment of like, does our idea have legs? Yeah. You know, I think serving a community, um, and I mean, Atlanta, I think after you've lived here for long enough and um, even introducing people to the city that move here from Dallas or LA or Seattle, it starts to feel like, uh, you know, in, in a lot of respect, it feels like a really tight-knit community, like very quickly. And um, you can see where people's heart really comes from, and it's not just from conquesting on other people's idea or stealing share or day part or whatever. Um, I think a lot of it is born out of there's a really, there, there's a very specific vibe to, to being a part of Atlanta and a greater part of Atlanta and then throughout Georgia. You know, I mean, I think some of the best stories that I've really heard are how, how people have experienced the state of Georgia through agriculture. You know, it's, it's amazing, you know, and to, to know a farmer and the implications of serving people and feeding people, um, both, you know, through actual food and then through what they need, um, is really incredible. And I think each of, each of you and, you know, the, the businesses, the brands, the companies, the restaurants, the, the food, the popsicles, uh, my, my kids have had a lot. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's there's so much for, for people to really unlock from from the idea that has really come out of, you know, each of your groups of people and teams. Um, so I, I want to leave a little bit of time. Uh, Claire, we're going to do like one more question and like we can have some Q&A. Um, but just like briefly, uh, what would, like, for someone who has an idea, like they want to get into the food world, they want to start a restaurant, or you know, they want to you know, make bagels, or whatever, or they, they want to be a farmer, I, I have no idea, they, they're interested in starting a nonprofit that serves some aspect of another business or industry, um, what, what would be like the piece of advice that you guys would give people? Are we doing this again? Yeah, I guess. I didn't mind going first because then it's fresh. Yeah. There's this real thing called pregnant brain. <laughs> I forget everything. Um, I literally already forgot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would say more recently, what I've learned is to, and I've known this for a long time. It just when we, the, what you mentioned earlier, a lot about pride, um, but it, to use your resources. Um, there shouldn't necessarily be many nonprofits like the Giving Kitchen across the country. Everyone should work together, and if you have an idea that's similar, either send them, I'm not saying send them our way, but there we should all really just um, work collectively to make the whole stronger, is essentially what I'm trying to say. Um, 
And I think I've learned that most recently in the last couple of years, to be honest. Um, I, of course, am one of those people who I, you know, I am a widow. I'm remarried and, and pregnant, and, and my I love my life and and my history. And I would not be where I am today if it didn't wasn't for the the tragedy in my life. But I'm a strong woman, and um, and I would also say, you know, life is a lot about choice, um, and you do have to choose to wake up every morning and smile and 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 choose your path. Um, and there's nothing wrong if that path is to go back to bed. Um, because I also did that a lot. Um, and I just think that, again, just trusting your resources and knowing who to turn to to make the whole stronger is probably one of the best pieces of advice that I've learned and gathered over, over the years. Short version of what that might mean. Um, so mine's maybe more specific, uh, but... So, King of Mine, pick a, if you want to start a food business or any type of business, it would be to pick, for me, it was helpful to pick a specific date as to when you want to do that. And uh, a quick story on that, I was planning, we had a lease signed, and a lot of people know where North Avenue in North Highland is where we started uh, King of Pops and with a cart. We had originally had a lease signed for that little flower, well, now it's a, um, a missions area. It was vacant when I was trying to get it. Before that, it was a flower shop. I would, don't remember seeing it. But we had a lease signed for that, and as things happened, and I had set a date for myself of April 1st to start selling pops, no matter what happened, uh, realized that we were going to, for some reason, need a grease trap to make pops, and I hadn't considered that with my six, six or $7,000 uh, budget that I had to start the business. Uh, and so instead of just saying, let me go try to find investors or do something different or whatever, I had mentally like set this deadline and we started the cart business instead, which for us kind of made all the difference. I think if we had started with a single store, uh, it might have been okay or might have been great, but I don't think it would have been the same. And uh, so thinking that you're going to come in with all the right ideas and, and really just nail it isn't probably a reality and once you put your idea out into the world people will do what they will with it and you can react to that and that worked really well for us. I have gotten my car inspected for emissions and gotten an obstacle while they yeah. were working on it. Nice combo. Yeah. 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 I've done that at least four or five times. Yeah. So that's <laughs> yeah. Four or five years then. Yeah. Unless you've got exactly. multiple cars I guess. Yeah. My car's still running. So yeah. that's, that's I, I have no one to think of you Steve. <laughs> Um, that's a that's great. I totally agree with that. Um, so I've had a lot of like gut check failure moments with Fresh Harvest. Um, there was there's lots of them. We've knocked on doors to tell people about Fresh Harvest before, which is just hundreds of rejections. You know that kind of stuff. We've we've um, of course you, I still deliver in our truck sometimes, but used to do it all the time. Um, one time was delivering like 9:30 at night in winter, like this super dark had like 10 or 15 deliveries left. I can't find this freaking house. I'm whipping in, I get pulled over, and I'm just like, what is, what am I doing? I have just produce in the bag. It's 9.30 at night. So there's lots of those moments of like, what is going on? But prior to all that, um, so my dad, mentor in business of mine, um, and great, great guy, um, he, he told me early on, he's like, I could write a book about 
a bunch of different things about business of what not to do. But if I, the first chapter would be what he would call the rule of two, which he told me this before Fresh Harvest, which I'm very thankful for. He, um, he said, so take your business model and like get real serious about it. Like read books about business models and how all the, you know, where you're, you know, different, what's your value proposition and all this stuff. Like get, get official with it, know your stuff. And then take that model and be like, okay, I think it's gonna cost this much and take this long and blah, blah, blah. And then say, okay, it's, what if it took twice as long and cost twice as much and was like half as successful? <laughs> what then would I do? Like, would I still do this? Um, and think like prior to the 9.30 getting pulled over not knowing where this house is, I had already answered that, yeah, I would still do that question for myself because Fresh Harvest was like half as successful and twice as long and all like it, it kind of played out to be pretty true so I'll just say that gut check moment of like double the not to be a pessimist or anything but just because that's that's what I feel like I'm saying right now but but to like real is not your first idea real is like half of your first idea so um, that was helpful for me for sure that's great. thank you guys um, well, I, I want to leave, leave at least any questions that anybody has. Uh, this is what we call Q and A. You've never heard of it. It's really exciting. Yeah. And usually there's <coughs> one person with a question, and that gives people the confidence to ask their questions. So I see two hands. We'll start with you in the first one. Uh, so I'm kind of at a point as well where I'm considering career change for something more fulfilling in the world of food and service, and especially around Atlanta. Very similar to the last question that Ben asked, but what advice would you give for someone just trying to get involved and attempt to look for opportunities or, or a career in, in that area? Maybe not starting something. Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. may may we ask since we're all best friends now, are we looking to go into what type of food aspect? Uh, unknown, figuring it okay. out, so, but, but I'm um, more, I guess, at a very high level on the business side, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to become a chef. <laughs> Got it. Well, I mean, obviously, even for many restaurants um, across our country and, and elsewhere, there is a ton of business development involved within the restaurant um, world. That's actually what I did. So as a partner at Staple House, um, I kind of took care of all of our business management. I was always the one kind of in the background, even though I was also the one in the foreground and hosted and would be on the floor, et cetera. Um, but I definitely never stepped foot in the kitchen ever, um, nor would I ever want to. Um, my sister-in-law took care of all of our front of house operations and all of our service and culture, et cetera. My brother-in-law was a sh- is our chef. Um, and so there's obviously tons of opportunities, uh, especially for restaurants maybe like Staple House, who really require a lot of that office administration, business administration, et cetera. Obviously, for Giving Kitchen, I will say, there's a plenty of volunteer opportunities. Um, so again, while it might be slightly off the beaten path for what you might be thinking, since I'm not entirely sure, um, but there's a ton of volunteer opportunities where even I would love to introduce you to our office. You can come see what the nonprofit food service office looks like, um, if that might help you at all. Yeah, we'll be volunteering on Saturday, so mm-hmm. at, uh, in Yes, look at that. There you go. Dad didn't even have to try. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> then next week, I'll invite you to the office. Um, but there, I mean, there is plenty of opportunity. Again, I, I took care of all of our business management, so um, I, I bet these two probably have even a better answer. 
just quickly before we started, I, I, I don't, I think, I don't know if it's different than what she said, or the exact same. Um, but I don't know who said this. Someone said, do things for free and then do them for full price and kind of don't do the, the in-between thing. Uh, when I started, um, before we started, I wrote like, I remember I got my little typewriter out and I wrote these letters to like basically everyone was doing what I wanted to do and asked if I could just come work for them for free. And uh, one person responded in New York. I went up there and I worked there for about three weeks. I know for a fact, and I tell them all the time, that I wouldn't have been able to do any of the stuff that I did if I hadn't. So always kind of indebted to them for that. I know in the in the restaurant world it's called a stage if you are quite interested in that. Yeah, I, like I said, I've kind of stumbled into the next thing for any of my like career decisions, but I, I do think that's that stumbling came from a like dang, I just kind of want to do maybe what they're doing, so I'm just going to go get around those good people. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of follow leadership, don't follow money, or don't follow, you know, maybe the perks or whatever it may be, that, that definitely played out to be um, true for me. So I just kind of found people, whether it was, you know, you know, friends of friends or reading books or whoever, and just tried to get around those folks. I, I worked at a couple of farms, um, actually one that we're now... Um, starting an official relationship maybe buying kombucha from which i just found out today like it was this lady i worked with her before fresh harvest and i drove her tractor around and actually i i was the cause of a flat tire and so but i remember i was just like man i like what i like what they're doing and they seem like good people and so i just tried to get around that It's, this is sounds like a joke, but like winter, and I remember in the first year, like it just was like, is everyone just gonna forget about this? And then now it's like every year we've been doing it for a while now. It's like I feel like momentum, 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 and then it's like, oh, and then no matter how hard you try, it's like you're kind of resetting so much, which in some ways is nice, but it is difficult to get over. It's like developing staff or. Um, we have this really large staff, everyone's like kind of starting to get things and it's like hectic. And just as people are starting to get like acclimated and understand what they're doing, we have to stop.
that, but I don't know. That's very specific to a popsicle company. Well, we've got the one here at Pond City Market that's inside, but everything else is outside, yeah. Yeah, I think for the restaurant world, I know for Staple House specifically, I can't say the restaurant world, but for us early on, um, we had to learn a lot about resiliency. Um, as a tasting menu restaurant here in town, um, at the time that we opened, kind of becoming one of the only restaurants who were doing a tasting menu, um, nobody showed up. Not a lot of people know that. People think we're still impossible to get in. Staple House is still impossible to get into. It's clearly not the case. Um, Fridays and Saturdays might be completely packed, yes. But Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, come in and see us. Um, and then we went through a bit of a shuffle um, to offer something else. Again, resiliency played a factor in us realizing, well, maybe everybody just wants an a la carte menu and we don't have to you know, shove this, this preset thing down everybody's uh, throat so to speak. Um, that was a terrible, terrible thing. Um, but then after a year, we changed it again. So it's interesting, like there's, you know, while resiliency is a key factor in change and, and growth, um, I think one of our biggest challenges, at least for Staple House, especially during those first few years, was there was a lot of change. Um, we were introducing a very new reservation system. We were the first one in the entire southeast offering this particular reservation system. Now there's tons of restaurants in our city offering TOC, T-O-C-K, um, as a reservation system. So again, we were just kind of pioneers for a lot of different elements. Plus we were telling a story of tragedy and triumph and this nonprofit and all of these things and all of it coming together did provide challenge. It also provided an amazing platform. Staple House would have never existed without Giving Kitchen, and Giving Kitchen would have never existed without Staple House. The fact that we have both now, and they truly can interact within their community completely separately from one another is, is truly a remarkable thing. Um, so, yeah. I think one thing for me that is simple, but it just took a long time to overcome, was I didn't know any farmers. Um, so when we first started out, we're like, we're gonna deliver this stuff. Um, but like, I didn't know anybody. And I, I'll never forget um, talking with um, Andrew at Veggie Patch years ago. He's not there anymore. I don't, I don't know where he is. Um, but he was like, yeah, I'll do that. And he was the first person that like, I guess, believed we would actually buy it or something. Um, and it wasn't very much, and because we didn't have very many customers and all that. But then. You know, you just actually pay for it, and then they're like, okay, yeah, like, if you want to order squash again, you can, I guess. And then you just actually pay for it the next time. And then that took years, but eventually we had, like, a handful of farmers to work with, which that makes our product. Our product is not just radishes and pears and stuff from wherever. That's Kroger, you know. Our, ours is um, a little different than that. And so we didn't have anything unique about us at the beginning, even though we wanted to. Um, and so that just took a long time, not like a few weeks, but a couple of years.
<laughs> no, that was one of our best customers. She kept coming back. She would buy one every time. I was like, I'm not responding to this. She keeps buying pops. <laughs> I think that's a great question, um, and especially for these guys who are friends and know the the story very well. Um, that, it, that's a, that is probably my biggest personal challenge because the organization that I'm a part of is wouldn't exist if it didn't happen to me, um, and so it is obviously a very personal subject matter. But when we go back to choice. Um, it is the most inspiring, motivating, encouraging thing that I have going for me. I wake up every single day seriously excited to go to work with A, a group of 12 individuals who also give a shit the same way that I do. Uh, Giving Kitchen has been led most recently the last couple of years by our newest executive director, Brian Schroeder, and he has provided an immense amount of positive energy for that organization. Um, and we take really, really good care of our people. And I think I'd like to say that we try our very best and we've done that um, as best as we can at Staple House too. Restaurants are just incredibly grueling and very, very hard. Um, to take some time away, um, I love to travel. Um, I have three dogs. I was telling these guys earlier I would have like 35 dogs if I could, but probably wouldn't stay married. Um, <laughs> So, and it's interesting, like again, when I, being at Staple House full time was incredibly challenging, fulfilling in a very different way, but just very challenging. And now that I've been able to kind of come on full time um, at Giving Kitchen, um, has provided a bit more of a, a structure to my daily life, which has been really beneficial. 
Um, and again, I guess, I, I guess I'm just so excited to talk about like all the good things that this community is doing and what our team is doing to help people. I mean, that drives me personally. So it makes it kind of easy to stay inspired. I'll say so. Uh, so as far as, I'm conflicted a little bit on this because I think we oftentimes glamorize like the uh, hustle and really, really grinding. And at the same time, I also don't know, I don't know, I don't, per that, that's also like personally my story of starting was just like, everything and you just you wake up and you want to do it and you're excited about it and you're also like a little bit scared that you're gonna mess up and it just like pushes you really hard. I think as I've gotten a little bit more experience and a little bit context, I've realized like where I am now that if I do like it, it actually makes me better at my job when I provide that space. And so that's been like a a realization that I didn't have um, early on. But I also like if I was talking to 25 year old me and I was like wanting to take a week off in the middle of the summer like the, the reality is I couldn't so just kind of I don't know I don't think that's helpful but it's probably a struggle uh, that but realizing that it is good for you and ultimately good for the thing you care about is probably uh, a good realization I think just to keep thinking about my personal story I do think f fresh harvest and myself I've had phases in work and so there's absolutely the um, like middle of the summer I can't take any time off and this is non-stop grind kind of time and that went on for a while and that still does happen these days occasionally but um, then like you find some other person who's so stinking good at what they do and then they want to work with you and then you begin to trust each other and build this relationship and feel like the great um, just camaraderie of handing something off and be like, you you are better at this than I was. Just because I did it first doesn't mean I do it best. And so now, like, how about you do this thing and fully own it, take care of it, and do it your own way, and I'm not going to hover and that kind of thing. I think um, that is better and more healthy. I just don't think necessarily you always, maybe some businesses do, but I didn't, we didn't really have the luxury of that at the beginning. But as soon as you can find those people and afford to pay them and bring them in, um, just realizing how uh, how much of a gift that is, and don't like become uh, complacent with it, because um, that's that's just been very evident, at least in the fresh harvest story. For sure. One more. Okay, so King, great questions. Um, I won't say never, but it's not on the immediate roadmap. <laughs> great, great concept, though. It's got the word King, so we like it. <laughs> awesome. Yes, ma'am. Hang on. I'm coming. Oh, yeah, girl. Project that voice. Yeah, oh man, don't have any great answers. I remember, so this is like a kind of, 
dad story when he's trying to pretend like he's walking up the hill both ways. We used to push our popsicle cart uh, to the buddy's corner, or I did. I don't know why I always say we. I'd push it up there, and uh, I would pass construction groups. And I had, in the beginning, I had really probably two adventurous and foodie flavors, like tangerine basil, pineapple habanero, grapefruit mint, a lot of the stuff I still had, have now. Um, and when I would pass them, they'd be like, I don't want that. That sounds terrible. Uh, and so they were like, well, what do you want? And I'll make it tomorrow. So they wanted just strawberry. So uh, I think a little bit, I don't really know if this is what you're trying to ask, but meeting people a little bit with where they are was part of my lesson there. And uh, then just really listening to people instead of like nodding at them, like actually listening to what they're saying. And when people like something, or they want to try it. It obviously doesn't work as well now to just make whatever flavor you propose right now. Uh, but in the beginning, it definitely was, and just kind of trying to meet people where they are. And they're just really good pops. <laughs> <laughs> How many pops were in a cart on one of those days? <laughs> Yeah, that's but true. How many, like, how many? Yeah, like you would make them. You made. We could. I mean, two, probably not. Ten to three hundred. In the early days, I probably had like forty pops in there. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. The the cart can fit six hundred though. As if anyone ever, if you want a trivia question. And you can rent them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you can rent a popsicle stand. Yeah. Everybody should do that. <laughs> um, well, Steve, Jen, Zach, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for coming. Thank Many thanks to our hosts, General Assembly at Pond City Market for hosting this event. And again, we're looking forward to the next Real Food, Real Stories event happening in February of 2020. So you can actually go check out the episode page and find out the link to where you can look at all of the information for the next event. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry. <laughs>